Welcome to the most forward-thinking, inspirational podcast on the planet. Prepare to reevaluate everything you've been taught and get ready to launch your mind into an entirely new reality. If you've always felt there had to be more to life, more to existence, then you're listening to the right podcast. Get comfortable, pour yourself a drink, sit back, and let your host, Adam R. Walton, expand your horizons. This is going to be good. This is going to be fun. This is going to be mind-bending. Time to think. And here we go. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Mental Mastery Alliance podcast. I have today, as we were speaking, actually, the last podcast that I did, I had said we are now officially separating the two, the two ideologies, the two mindsets, because I want to be as predominant as I can when it comes to the realization that we have the ability to really step up our game mentally. We have the ability to achieve virtually anything we want. Um, Now the conspiracies, as you're all familiar with, um, I feel we're getting in the way just because it was such an overabundance. It was too much in the world for us. There was too much information out there. There was no point in pushing this narrative because who even knows the narrative itself was created. It was, it was, it's mandated and there's so much out there that I wanted to get back to the main business at hand, which is you, the listener being able to do whatever it is you want to do. And you won't believe me when I tell you this, but I'm coming out the gate swinging. So yes, the other podcast is in full swing. Ladies and gentlemen, TMMA conspiracy, all one word. Look it up. You'll love it. But today on the Mental Mastery Alliance, we have brought to you an individual, Dr. Keith Marin, author, Keith Marin, psychologist, psychological master guru, Keith Marin. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, Keith Marin. Thank you. I don't know what uh, tickles my funny bone with that introduction. Thank you. You got to love it. You got to love it. <laughs> And I say yeah. too, I say, you know, when, when, when people talk about, you know, the guests that they have on their show and their ability to do sort of thing, uh, you know, how do you get guests? How do you find guests? How do you do this? How do you do that? I've got this principle where there's one or two people that I absolutely want to speak to. And then there's a, a collective of people that reach out to me. I have an open link on my, on my website. If you want to talk, you have an opportunity to get on the show. Not many people make it past the email, uh, but your, uh, when your, when your assistant reached out to me, uh, I fell in love with your demeanor with what you're doing with who you are and then you're you're a big deal uh you know when i say a big deal i mean a man who's made a lot of change uh, yes. and and whether that's within one person's life or a thousand people's lives you've had the ability to alter the way people perceive what it is they're looking at and how they think about what they're looking at and this is why i'm honored that you're on the show so thank you you have a new book out it's the art of transformational coaching. Let's talk a little bit about that. Sure. Sure. Well, you know, what, what inspired me to write the book was uh, I've been doing transformational coaching for most of my adult life. I've been an organization development consultant helping organizations grow and develop. And in the context of that work, I work with CEOs a lot. Uh, almost all my work, all my clients, I work with the CEOs. And what we're basically doing is wrapping our arms around the whole organization and looking to lift that organization to higher and higher levels. And the quality of the leadership, as you would imagine, is crucial for that. So if a leader wants to grow the organization, 
he or she needs to grow him or herself. So I've been coaching. That's, uh, that's what coaches do is help others grow. I've been doing that for 37 years. And I've developed my own particular recipe for how to do that well. And I, because of my success over the years and the learning that I've gotten through my work, I, I get better and better at this thing called transformational coaching. So you get to transform yourself in the process. Well, that, that's <laughs> always the case. I, there's a bit of a, there's a bit of a, a dictum in my world that says you can't take somebody further than you've gone yourself. Yeah. And so keep working on oneself if you're going to, help others work on themselves. So, so that's, that was, that's what I, what the, the book is about. It's about the art of transformational coaching with a particular focus, which I think your listeners are going to be fascinated by. And, and hopefully you will as well. Uh, how do you change paradigms? Mm-hmm. I'm not talking about collective paradigms right now. That's a, a beast in and of, it, in and of itself, but how do you help an individual shift their own paradigm? And so hopefully what we'll be talking about today is a little bit is about how do paradigms form and how yeah. do they get locked into place? I think that would be a hugely valuable thing to explore uh, given who your listeners are. Yes. Given who they are and who I am. Uh, paradigms are, are, you know, uh, they're not just two dimes. I'm telling you that much. The, That's right. The, uh, I like that, you know, the intro, you actually mentioned that, you, you know, you work with CEOs and you work with corporations. You also work with individuals. This isn't just a regular, you don't just go into companies, you go into, you primarily work on the individual within the company, I'm assuming. That's correct. That's correct. And I work with the teams and the organization as a whole. And sometimes they take on clients, just uh, individual clients who want to, who want to grow and want to look in the mirror and face themselves. So at the end of this episode, I'm going to, I'm going to, well, actually all the links to all your stuff is going to be in the description, but at the end of this episode, we're going to, we're going to drop back, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to drop back some info. Uh, for you to be able to get in touch with Keith. Um, and you, you will work one-on-one with people. Just yes. regular, just any of the listeners calls up or contacts you, you're okay to, you know, do an intake with them. Absolutely. Perfect. Absolutely. Perfect. And I like, you know, what you had said about a company can only go as far as its leaders and that sort of thing. Because one of the things that I've lived with, and one of the, one of the statements that I've loved my entire life is, um, it's, a, it's a simple thing. Uh, an employee does not leave a company. Typically they leave a boss. Mm-hmm. So if you don't have, if you've got terrible skills and you're a boss, terrible people skills, the employee isn't bailing on your company. They're bailing on you. So you gotta, you know, you definitely got to one that up for sure. I, yeah. I really like that. So let's get into the paradigm shift. And in my intro, I mentioned the, uh, the conspiracies. And when you talk yeah. about the paradigm shift, the collective paradigm shift right now, we have a world that is faced with, confinement. We have a world that is, that is being told to do something. There has been a paradigm shift that has been forced upon the collective. Mm-hmm. And if, if we were to expand upon that, I mean, again, that's, we could talk, that's a whole other episode right there. Like you said, a beast unto mm-hmm. itself. But the, if we use that as a basis, knowing that, Hey, one day you're out walking around the next day, the government said, put on a mask and, and lock yourself in your house. This is a paradigm shift. This is something that took place in, you know, we, we, we can say right now, perhaps against our will, but there's this weird thing that, you know, kind of everything does happen for a reason. And to be able to sort of shift into that paradigm for you to say, for you to say right now, everything's terrible. I can't, why is this happening to me? To take that paradigm, to take that vision and to change it into, I'm now seeing the benefits of what this is. This is what it is. I can't shift it. I can't change it. I can make it work to my advantage. What are some mm-hmm. of your keynotes on that? What are, what are your, some of your highest speaking points on 
on, on that paradigm shift or how to, how to hit that inside your head? Well, you know, this, it's, I'm reminded of the, uh, the serenity prayer in this moment, which is uh, the essence of it is uh, to uh, change the things that I can, to accept the things that I can't change and the wisdom to know the difference. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I would say that this is a beast of a change, a beast of a problem, the coronavirus, and its effect that is beyond my personal control. I don't think that what I'm going to do in this moment is going to affect the trajectory of the choices that people in positions of power are going to make. So I don't busy myself with what they're doing or not doing. I get that this is bigger than me. And instead, I say, okay, that's what's happening uh, beyond my control. Now, what is within my control? And clearly, the biggest thing within my control is how I respond, how I choose to interpret and choose to respond to the situation. Now, there are people in the world that I don't believe recognize their choice in this matter. They act like a victim to the world around them. The world is happening. I can't do anything about it. Moreover, I have no choice. Moreover, it's affecting me. I don't like it. Moreover, I'm going to spend my time complaining about it mm-hmm. and, and, and railing against the universe. I would say that that victim mentality is not going to serve them in any way. And there is a paradigm inside of them that is driving that mentality. And what you're describing is an alternative paradigm in this case, which would be uh, 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 a more resourceful paradigm that says, well, what am I going to do? How do I understand it? What will I do? How do I uh, rise above this? How do I hunker down? How do I relate to it in such a way that I and my friends and family and the people around me will come out? uh, At least we will survive and at best we'll thrive. It's just a very different paradigm Part of my work in, in life is to help people shift from one paradigm to the other. Would you say that, that uh, systematically as well, people have both paradigms already pre-programmed into their psyche? Absolutely. They know, they know, exactly. They know exactly when they're in a victim paradigm. They know what it looks like. They see people around them who are operating differently. Uh, and they also have the capacity to operate from that different paradigm, from that more resourceful paradigm. So it is in with everyone. Sometimes people get stuck and that becomes the interesting phenomenon. Well, and that, that was my next question to you is what do you do with people who, who so heavily associate themselves with the victim that without being the victim, they don't even know who they are individually? Yeah. Well, so let's talk a little bit about the victim mentality and its effect and then we can maybe Absolutely. talk about talk about that so ladies and gentlemen we're coming at you heavy today so if you've got any personal issues you're probably going to f- figure a few of them out you know as we go through this we're coming in hard coming in hot coming in heavy <laughs> right so you know there's uh, when people are in the mentality they may look like they're they're powerful in that they scream and yell and they're angry mm-hmm. but underneath that is this feeling of lack of efficacy lack of of resourcefulness it's actually a cry. Uh, it is not a powerful stance to rail at the universe. Uh, 
so one way you know you're in that mentality is if you're railing, if you're not solid in yourself, if you're not calm. Now, I know sometimes demonstrating and yelling is a good thing, but I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about going to the bar and drinking and screaming and yelling at the world and telling what a bunch of assholes everybody is. That will do one no good. And so you can tell if you're in that space of railing against, you're probably in a victim mentality. If you're not centered, you're in a victim mentality. If you are feeling desperate, you're not in a victim, you're in a victim mentality. If you're feeling um, uh, despondent, depressed, you're in a victim mentality. And so those are the indicators. And many people know when they're feeling those things. And then they blame the system for feeling those things, failing to recognize that it's absolutely within each of our power to decide how we're going to respond and how we're going to feel. That is absolutely in our power. But instead, they give away their power to others by believing that they can't do anything about it. I'm talking about they can't do anything about their own feelings. Mm -hmm. And I'm saying they can. So, the, so the, those are the clues that you're in a victim mentality. And they run deep. Often, that's a pattern that people who are in that mentality, that's a pattern that they've been living for a long, long time. It's tentacles run deep. Yeah. Know? And that's, that's, that's a paradigm that's locked itself in. And, and that's what I was saying before, when you associate so much with being the victim that you don't know who you are without it. Like if I were to remove the pain and suffering that I perceive, I don't know how to identify myself. Yes. If I can't say, oh, poor me. Uh, and, and there are a lot of people out there right now that actually, you know what? I'll say anyone that's living that mentality, that, that oh, poor me mentality, they're not really listening to this show. The people listening to this show are dealing with the oh, poor me assholes. So that is, you know, that is, that is a huge thing. Um, there is also other times when we are the victim, when it's obvious that we're the victim of something, whatever it is, whether it's assault, whether it's a, 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 a virus, whether it's a, a societal norm, you know, we are the victim of something right now, Mike, I, I'm curious to know, when you actually tangibly are the victim, uh, let's, just say, let's just say arbitrarily for this situation, you're cheated on by your spouse. Mm. Now, we're going to use this one as, as just an example. Anyone that's listening right now, feel free to put your own examples in here. But just for the sake of this conversation, your spouse, your spouse has cheated on you. You're the victim. And now you're sitting with a specific, we're not, this is, this is a great way to make it not general. You know, we're sitting with specific being a victim part of this. Hmm. Somebody with your, I mean, you went to Harvard. I want to know what your doctorate has taught you about how to handle that because we all have ups and downs in life. But if we're going to, if we're going to cut it right to a specific, do you have a way? And if you don't, it's okay because I do know that there's a million things that go into fixing something like this inside your head. But and, and I'm definitely putting you on the spot. Ladies and gentlemen, this wasn't a rehearse call whatsoever. Keith and I met a few minutes ago. I'm really excited. We got, we got a big brain on the show, so I'm, I'm putting them to task right now. <laughs> That's good. That's quite a drum roll, Adam. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, so listen, I don't buy it. I wouldn't buy it. If I were coaching that person, mm -hmm. I would say, I understand it feels like you're a victim. I understand you feel that way. I understand it feels like she or he did it to you and at you mm -hmm. as long as you remain in that belief 
that they did it to you and at you and you are a victim, you have no power. Yes. You don't learn anything. You have no power to affect anything. And so I would say, I don't buy it. I don't agree. You are a victim. For example, I would invite the person to wonder, I wonder what was it going on in our relationship that was off that I've known for a long time that would have my spouse choose to go in an alternative direction in our relationship. I wonder what truth my spouse has not felt free to speak to me. I wonder what I did a long time ago that so hurt that my spouse had to pull away and this is the way he or she is doing. I wonder what I've done all along that may have contributed to this moment. Now, I'm no longer a victim. Now I'm seeing my part in the drama. And when I see my part, I have the potential to change or grow or not do it again the next time. So I don't buy that we're a victim in that situation. <clears throat> I, might, I might buy that if lightning hits me, I might be a victim. But even there, what has me walking in a field in a lightning storm? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I'll, t I'll tell you an interesting one. I love this. This was during the Loma Prieta, uh, uh, Loma Prieta earthquake in, I guess it was in 87 or 89. And I remember this was in, in the Bay Area, San Francisco Bay Area. Yeah. And, and there was this interview of this person who owned a $6 million house that was on a cliff. And the interviews was about the victims of the earthquake. And the interviewer, this is on TV, says, this must have been awful. Your beautiful house that you cared about for so many years, it fell onto the ground and it's ruined. And the person said, yes, it's ruined forever. And I can't believe it. All my things in it. I'm, and sob, sob, sob. Mm -hmm. And I'm thinking to myself, who in their right mind, who in their right mind builds a house on a cliff in the biggest earthquake arena place in the world? You're a victim. You just built that house. What were you thinking? So that mentality, it doesn't serve that person. They're going to just do it again. They're going to build another house on a, on a cliff. Exactly. And cry poor mouth. So I don't see even that. If I hit, get hit by lightning and I'm walking along a field, it's my responsibility to be aware that lightning exists. And then when you walk along a field and I'm your, you're the tallest thing in the field in the lightning storm, there's a darn good chance you're going to get hit. And people, uh, will so, say, people will say something like, well, what if you absolutely have to go somewhere, right? And then my, my opinion on that with regards to your lightning analogy is why have you put yourself in a position where you absolutely have to be out in a lightning storm? Anywhere, anywhere. So that's right. And so there's always choices that we've made up until this event that we believe we are a victim to. Mm -hmm. And if we don't face those choices and recognize our own volition in the matter, we're just going to become a victim again. Now, having said that, I get that there are moments where people, forces are bigger than us. They're unexpected. We couldn't have anticipated them. And they hit us. Mm -hmm. And maybe we are a victim in that moment. But we have the choice. And this is Victor, Victor Frankl's uh, uh, Man's Search for, for Meaning. It's a wonderful book. And he was a guy in a concentration camp that noticed that the people who died in the concentration camps in World War II they, they were people that lived and made it through and people who died and the ones that made it through had a particular attitude. And their attitude was, 
I may not have control over being in this camp, but I have control over my mind and I have control over how I respond and how I choose to respond. And interestingly, those, through, those people survived much more than the people who felt a victim in, in all ways. So I think we always have control over how we choose to respond. I like, I like that statement. And yeah, the Viktor Frankl book, ladies and gentlemen, if you do decide to pick that one up, it is a good one, but the first hundred pages are pretty hard to get through now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. After that, you're good to go. Um, the, but they're mess- necessary for the book. So if, if we go back to past, we go past the, the lightning, we go back to the marital problems. Yeah. There, there's, there's an issue in this, in this scenario too, where there's, there's, because I bring this one up because this is like the number one, the number one cause of divorce is marriage. Now I say that. Uh, Adam, <laughs> Adam, Adam, do do you want some coaching right now? How, how are you and your wife doing? Uh, not married, never married. A okay. Oh, okay. All right. Uh, okay. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I make jokes. I make light jokes about this sort of thing. Um, but I'll tell you, uh, the, the clientele, the clientele that we're speaking to, a lot of them are, um, uh, a lot of them are housewives. A lot of them are, um, uh, my, my, I'm speaking directly to the, the housewife version of my audience who's out there. You know, we have, we've spoken, we've spoken directly, we've spoken one-on-one. We know, we know the ins and outs of what's going on uh, inside your head. And these are the things I'm asking these questions specifically because we do have a doctorate. We do have a Harvard studied lawman that basically poo-pooed the idea that you're a victim and uh, was able to, to, to have you sort of disenfranchise yourself from the situation and take from it at the same time. Now, I'm going to finish that thought by saying, when uh, did I just screw myself up on that one? I'm going to finish that thought by saying, <laughs> um, we have this innate disbelief uh, inside us that wherever we are, it's the finish line. You know, wherever we are, this is it. This is, this is as good as it gets. This is as bad as it gets. This is, this is it. We have no idea. I mean, I'll tell you right now, a funny, a funny analogy on that one is, you know, 2020 has been weird, right? How could this get any worse? And nobody could have ever imagined that they were going to shut everything down. Well, there it is. Mm-hmm. Rudy Gay mm-hmm. or whatever his name gets it in the NBA and then it's hits all over. So, mm-hmm. but it, that happened. Okay. So that's a whole other topic that happened so fast. It, it's, there's, there's something up there. Now, when it comes to the marriage, when it comes to this, you have, you now have a million opportunities, right? You're like, you can get a divorce. You can go your separate ways. You can do this. You can do that. What about the kids? What about the house? What about my business? What about this? What about that? That victim mentality, that, that whole, what about thing? We can sit there and we can burn ourselves to death on, mm-hmm. on all the what ifs, right? And, and one of the analogies I like to use is if I tell you I'm going to throw a rock at your head on Friday afternoon at seven o'clock, you're going to think about it until Friday afternoon at seven o'clock. But if I just pick a rocket, chuck it at your head, then you would move and that would be the end of it. So the buildup is, is the problem. The act and the action isn't the problem. The act and the action is just simply getting it out of the way. It's thinking about what's coming. So now we can go back to broad spectrum. We don't have to stick to this topic, but how do you handle or how do you talk to or how do you work around with people the buildup, getting that out of their head, the worst case scenario? Why, are we, why do we automatically go to worst case scenario? Why do we fear change? Why do we stress out about things we don't know? Why do we have anxiety? Those are a lot of big questions. Can you focus me a little bit here? <laughs> <laughs> why do we, why do you believe people 
faced with something they've never experienced or, or, or don't know, like faced with divorce, faced with cheating, faced with, okay, I've done the work now. I have to get the divorce. Why do you think people spend so much, like they cripple themselves? You know, when, when somebody's like, I'm in bed for days, I can't get up. Yeah. Yeah. How that amount of anxiety, what, what's your topic on that sort of thing when it comes to how, how we take our power back from that? Well, certainly the coronavirus is a grand example of something that's happening to uh, huge numbers of people all over the world. Mm-hmm. And, and so their, their fear of the unknown is very much crippling to a lot of people. Um, and so there's, uh, uh, the antidote is to uh, become famil- knowledgeable about the situation enough that one can start to navigate. There's this part of the brain, I think it's Laus crucialis or something like that. It's, it's toward the brainstem, uh, right near the amygdala in the middle of the brain and the back of the brain. That's job it is to navigate uncertainty and to figure out things in the face of that uncertainty. And so the more you get good at it, the more you go, okay, this is an ambiguous situation. We don't know what's going to happen, but I will arm myself with information and I will get clear who am I and what do I want. And I will make choices along the way, even micro choices, the more we get resourceful. And so that person that's been crippled from anxiety probably either got hit something huge in their life, that mm-hmm. you know, a traumatic experience that, would cripple any of us. Yeah. Or I'm swinging for the fences here, by the way, like I, I'm going big. When I got you on the phone, I'm going big. We're going for the big questions. That's why I say that. Yeah. Crippling anxiety. So so they could, they could have had a traumatic experience that would, that shaped them. And then they've got to really do their trauma work. They got to go to a therapist and, and, and figure out what, how they can get out of the traumatic, uh, the, the, the consequence of that trauma. And I, so somebody who's been, raped or, or saw, you know, witnessed the death of their mother or father right in front of them as a child. Mm-hmm. That's bigger stuff than I really know uh, how to deal with. Most people, though, it wasn't quite that traumatic. And, uh, but if they got frozen in their experience in life when they were younger and they kept on, you know, kept on crawling back into bed whenever faced with ambiguity and uncertainty, mm-hmm they never learn how to navigate it well and they never develop their own inner confidence. And so if somebody listening is one of those people, I would say start really small, take one step, figure out how do I get out of bed and make breakfast? Uh, Take another tiny step. How do I put my clothes on? Take another tiny step and then another tiny step, build little, Otherwise, if you don't move at all, you remain frozen and then it reinforces one's own belief that I can't do anything. It goes back to, I am a victim. Mm-hmm. You're never a victim unless you believe you are. And then you are a victim. And, and that, that in and of itself is, is a disease when you, when you've fallen uh, down that, down that road. And yeah. it, it, like you said, you know, f- find out how to make breakfast. This isn't like we've forgotten how to make breakfast, ladies and gentlemen, that's not what we're talking about. We're saying if you have, you know, a traumatic experience and you are in that moment in time, you're in bed with anxiety. I think what's happened is you've, you've reverted back to the last time something tragic happened that you didn't do any work on. You're now rehashing 
all of it. Yeah. And yeah. that, that, that is, you know, that's probably one of the biggest ones. And, um, you know, and yes, and, and, and when we're, the majority of trauma, I mean, somebody told me once that it was like, you know, if you could stand around with, you know, a hundred people and you all take your problems, your individual personal problems inside your head and you throw them into a pile and you looked at all the other problems that all these other hundred people have, the likelihood is you'd pick up your own problems again and just walk away with your own damn problems. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. In most cases, not all, but in most cases, I think that's right. You know, so, you know, when I say look around, gather information, get some insight, uh, uh, we've had, we've had fires around where I live. Uh, I live near Sonoma County in California mm -hmm. and, and every year for the past three years, we've had terrible fires. You know, after, after two or three years of it, I'm going to start to think this is a pattern. And I'm going to start to pay attention to the pattern. I don't need to be a conspiracy theorist to recognize something's going on. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and therefore, my job, once I recognize there's some pattern, is to figure out what my response is. Do I move out of the area? Uh, because I'm concerned that I'm going to get my, fire, my house is going to be burned down. Do I dig a hole in my backyard and get a trench so that I, you know, get a, get a bunker? Uh, what do I do? How do I respond? How do I ready myself for it? And the more I ready myself for it, the more I'm prepared, the more likely I'll be, you know, if, in, if the moment comes that my house is in danger, I'll know what to do. So information is available if I look around. Mm -hmm. It's darn hard to figure out this coronavirus situation. It's darn hard to figure out exactly what's going on, but there are clues. And if I connect the dots and listen to the clues, I'll probably figure out, okay, I think this is the, the deal. This is my theory. This is my hypothesis. And I'm going to act based on this hypothesis. And here are the actions I'm going to take. That's what, that's what resourceful people do when they're not feeling like they're victimized. Exactly. Exactly. And that's the thing. It's, you know, some of the most resourceful people that are out there, when they hit that victimization, um, aspect of things, it, it's, it's, it, it takes you back. It takes you back again to, you know, to, to mad youth. Um, preparation. Uh, yeah. Trying to, you know, trying to figure yourself out in the middle of the situation has you frantically running. Uh, and there are, uh, there's another aspect. There's another side of, of, of the coin here where people who are, uh, you know, morally living paycheck to paycheck, uh, are trying to figure everything out their entire life on the fly without giving themselves any breathing room to uh, accelerate or to advance their own uh, knowledge, education, lack of panic. If you're constantly running at a, you know, 40 to 50% panic ratio, <laughs> mm -hmm. you have, you know, th that is a fundamental flaw. So there is another, another side topic on this whole thing is, is, is slowing down and getting people out. I mean, have you ever worked with somebody who didn't know they needed to be worked with? And because you've been assigned in the, in the CEO role um, uh, of, uh, you know, the companies are like, let's talk to this guy, talk to that guy, if you can help this guy. Have, yeah. you, ever, have you ever come across uh, a scenario where you've been put face to face with somebody who had no idea they needed help uh, and you were able to help them? Yes, but the first step, this is the, this is the book, part of the book, the first phase of the first step in coaching somebody and helping them transform is that they own the problem. Mm -hmm. And so you're describing a situation that they don't own the problem. They don't even recognize there's a problem yeah. in their leader, in their behavior. And so, you know, as soon as the CEO says, I want you to work with Jack over there. My question is, does Jack know you want me to work with him? 
Mm-hmm. And have you spoken to Jack? And has Jack owned the problem that you want me to help him fix? If no, you need to talk with Jack, not me. Yeah. That's your job. Your job is to help Jack recognize whatever you think he's doing or not doing and own the problem. And let me coach you, CEO, on how to do that. Yeah. But, but yeah. I'm not going to be successful coaching Jack if Jack doesn't own the problem. And if Jack feel, you know, if Jack's defenses are up and his, his inability to see it is going on, I might be able to help Jack lower his defenses. But Jack's got to be motivated to do that. CEO, that's your job, not and, mine. And that's, that's a phenomenal answer. The reason I asked that question, the reason I led you in that direction was uh, along the, the analogy. Like if you want to take up hockey skating or, or playing hockey uh, and you don't know how to skate, you, know, you don't hire Wayne Gretzky to teach you how to skate. You, you have to go through the levels of the coaches. You have to hire a, a skating coach. You have to hire a shooting coach, a stick handling coach. And then 10 years from now, you hire a coach that you hire a Wayne Gretzky that's going to teach you how to get that finesse goal and that extra this and that extra that because you can't hire a coach or you can't, you can't connect with a coach. You can't mentally connect with a coach that's 10 levels above you. Um, mm. and, and that's a huge thing. So why I, why I wanted to bring that up is because, you know, there are a lot of people out there that, that ha- have heard the term coaching and that have heard the term psychology and psychiatrist. And uh, I want to get your opinion on that in a quick second. Um, but they, they say coaching doesn't work. Coaching won't work for me. Um, and I want the, the two things I want your opinion on are the difference between coaching and therapy uh, and how you feel about the levels of coaching and what you would say to somebody who needs a coach that's less than you. When somebody comes to you and says, Keith, I've got these problems. Uh, can you help me with this? And, and, and you know, in your heart of hearts that it's, it's you know, you, there's no point in, in charging them to work with you or working with them because they're, they're, you know, they're 12 coaches below you without sounding yeah. condescending because people don't understand the levels of coaching, coaching much like high school or, or grade school. You have to go through the levels. You don't just go from grade one to, to, you know, grade 12, there's so many different variations. So my, my question, even though I'm on a ramble, my question is, uh, what's your, what's your take on somebody who, how do you handle somebody who doesn't necessarily need your services, uh, but definitely needs a coach? Mm-hmm. Uh, well, so the difference between coaching and therapy. Okay. We'll go to that. One I, 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 just, just to, to, to bring, bring, because I think it's important to the second question. So the difference between coaching and therapy is a therapist's goal of therapy is primarily healing and the goal of coaching is primarily effectiveness. Now there are, uh, in other words, to the coach helps the person become more effective, more productive, more resourceful, more whatever. Healing is often a part of that. Healing may be a necessary condition in some cases where somebody's dealing with severe psychological problems and that's what's in the way of them being effective. So healing may be a step. And you know, I might say, go see a therapist, not me. I'm not a therapist. But if you're reasonably healthy and healing is not the primary need, but the need is to become a better leader, a better leader of an organization, a better CEO, a better um, uh, steward of, of X, Y, or Z, then, uh, then you might seek coaching for greater effectiveness. And then in terms of levels of coaching, I think transformational coaching is the height of coaching. It means that the coach is capable of working with the person and helping them shift their paradigms. And this is no easy feat. And uh, 
there are other kind of coaching like skill building coaching where the coach teaches somebody how to do something or a thought partner kind of coaching where the coach is a thought partner or the coach is a problem solver that helps you problem solve or the coach helps you get accountable and responsible and do something that you know you want to do, but you need a little buddy to help you. Those are all kind of more basic kinds of coaching or life coaching teach you how to do something in your life. I'm a transformational coach. And in that realm, we're talking about uh, making significant uh, transformational shifts in one's life such that one is significantly more effective. And, you know, without being condescending or, or arrogant, you, you pay for it. it, it uh, I charge a fair bit if I'm working, working with CEOs and, and I'm worth it. And so I've studied for years to develop my capacity or my craft. Maybe I'm not Wayne Gretzky, but I'm up there. <laughs> I love it. Uh, and, and, and one of the things with regards to that, I mean, one of the things that I always say is, you know, the, the guy that repairs your uh, washing machine, you know, he's in there for 10 minutes and he's just charged you 250 bucks. You know, you're not paying for the 10 minutes he was there. You're paying for the decades of life. He learned how to fix that thing so quickly. That's right. That's exactly right. And another thing too, when I talk and a lot of my clients have heard this and a lot of people that have called through or, or anyone that's, that's inquired about coaching. Um, we talk about, we talk about the commitment. We talk about the financial commitment. You need to commit mind, body, soul, and financially. You can't sit there with, you know, uh, a $500 coach and, you know, a Lexus or Mercedes or, 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 you know, whatever in the driveway, you can't spend all that money on what, on your appearance and do nothing about your internal intellect. Yeah. Um, not to mention the fact that anyone that's, you know, in the realm of, you know, making uh, six, seven figures and they want to, they want to be making, you know, more, or they want to do more. They want to, they want to uh, be more. Uh, they're not going to go and find a thousand dollar coach. Now, that's not to take away from the $1,000 coaches because they're absolutely mandatory. You know, um, every coach gets better by coaching. So yeah. the best coaches have silver hair or no hair is the way I look at it. <laughs> then, I've, then, I've, then I've earned my stripes. That's right. This is a stripe earning for sure. So yeah, it's not, this is to me, to me, the, the dollar amount is how much you're willing to commit to yourself. Uh, and if yeah. you've got my answers, I don't care how much it costs. And I'm sure your system is set up that there's, there are payment plans. There's together. If the, if it's a great fit, you guys will make it work. I know that that's sure. how coaching works. Um, you've answered a lot of my questions. You know, I, I, without dragging this out and, 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 you know, boring the masses, I'm sure everybody's actually not bored at all, but is there anything that you wanted to touch on? Because I mean, you, you've been great. I've had a lot of fun. I want you to come back on the show too. Um, but it's, it's been a lot of fun here. What, what is it that, you know, if you could give advice, you know, a nice piece of advice or, or anything that really sticks with you, like with regards to business mindset, what is the, the thing that you're like could help or an impact statement or anything like that, that could help right now with anyone listening to this? Well, that's a big ask. I, I'm not definitely. sure. I, Free uh, advice, ladies and gentlemen, I'm working for you. I'm working for you. <laughs> so, uh, so I will say this. So the, so the topic of the book, the art of, uh, transformational coaching is about how do you help somebody shift their paradigm and this term paradigm is thrown around quite a lot mm -hmm. in the world uh, we all have paradigms all of our so so i would say this all of our strategies in life all the ways in which we the patterns that we show up in life those strategies if they're working you've got a good paradigm but if they're not working 
you've got to dig in and wonder what's going on. Mm-hmm. And so the, the game of looking at paradigms, I, I, I often call it paradigm mapping, Beautiful. Is, a game, like is a game where you look at what are my beliefs, what are my assumptions, what are my, my goals, both explicit and tacit, what are my needs, and all of those things, our beliefs, our assumptions, our worldview, our goals, and our needs, they all come together to create our strategy. Our strategies in life then dictate our choices and our actions, which then produce our outcomes. The outcomes that we get in life then reinforce our beliefs. And so if you're stuck in what I would call a dual loop in your life and you can't get out, you're in a paradigm. You're probably in a complex. And so the way you get out of a paradigm is first owning that you're in a paradigm, mapping it and recognizing the features of it, Asking yourself, do I choose this? The answer would often be no. Imagine an alternative paradigm that would be more healthy, more life-giving, more vibrant, and then choosing that alternative paradigm. Now, all of this is not so easy, but that's the essence. That's the work if you're going to shift a paradigm. And that's my work. That's when I'm coaching people. I'm helping them do just that. It, uh, there's very few books that talk about it. There's very little research. There's a lot of books that talk about cultural paradigms and political paradigms. And I'm sure, you know, the conspiracy theorists have ample understanding of different paradigms oh, yeah. that they're looking at. And, you know, the, the, the prevailing story, the, uh, the story that the media gives you uh, is not necessarily a true story. It's, it's a way of looking at the world. And if you keep, uh, following the media's presentation of the world, you might be following a false story. So many people who are intelligent start to wonder, is there an alternative story? And that alternative story could be seen as an alternative paradigm or an alternative map for understanding how the world is working. There's a lot of information about that, but we don't understand our personal paradigms very well. And that's what, that's what I've been studying and working with and exploring and, and now writing about. That's it. I'm hiring you for me. <laughs> uh, I know I, that, that, I mean, you couldn't have, you couldn't have wrapped this up any better. I can't wrap that up any better because you're right. I can look above. I can sit back with all my great knowledge and all my great conspiracies and all these free thoughts and everything that's been rattling in my head. I can, I can, I can picture myself hovering above the map, the paradigm map, as you've put it. And I can see the, the, the media line. I can see the manipulation line. I can see the conspiracy theorist line. I can see the guy that believes in the reptilians line. I can see the guy that believes in uh, shape-shifting. I can, see, I can see where they're all coming from. I can see everyone saying the 5G line. I can see everyone saying the, mm-hmm. the cabal line. I can see all of these lines. I can see them all. And as I hover above and I look at the mainstream media, QAnon, all of these things, again, to tie in the conspiracies just for fun. I can do my best to deduce a truth in and amongst all of it. But that truth is fundamentally flawed because in and within the line that nobody's looking at is their selves, is their experiences, is who they think they are and how they think they fit in to this map. Yes. That's That's phenomenal. That's an inward looking process. And interestingly, most people that are very resourceful, they not only look out, and they see all these paradigms, but they also own their own paradigms. They also look inward and wonder, 
how did I create this view of life? Who am I in this process? Mm-hmm. How do I shift my own inner life such that I can be more resourceful and more effective and, and more satisfied? Uh, and so my work is a much more inward-facing work. Beautiful. I'm not here to change the politics or the, the culture around me. I'm here to help people shift their own inner work inner paradigm such that they can be more satisfied in life. Yeah. Everything still exists the same way it always did. You just see it differently and you've got better, you're, you're more fortified towards it. Absolutely. It's a beautiful thing. Uh, I can't thank you enough for coming on the show. I think, I think we talked about a lot. I think your book is, is going to be uh, great. I'm going to pick it up. Is it available on audiobooks? Do you have that for audible? Yeah. Not yet. I, it is, uh, it is not yet available. It should be available in a few weeks. I just did the finishing touches on the narrative, on the, on the manuscript itself. And now the uh, publisher is uh, uh, getting it ready for Kindle and, and an iBook. So it'll be on, uh, on, on an ebook format first. And then I'll get it on paperback in a couple months. So it'll be a while. But people can go to my website, leadership-pathways.com and somewhere along the way it'll it'll be announced that it's out there and uh can't get it yet these these uh a few links are going to be in there do you have any social media that you want me to put into the, the liner notes or anything like that are you are you playing with the social medias yet do you have a tiktok <laughs> no i have no idea what a tiktok is i'm not a big social media guy Excellent. uh i've never i've never been one to develop a big fan base and uh it's not it's not who I am, so I don't, I don't do Twitter. I don't do Facebook. I do, I do a little bit of LinkedIn. Uh, but uh, beyond that, no. Uh, you can just reach out to me. And, that's, and that's huge because there are so many people that get lost in the idea of uh, comparison. I mean, we've got the Oprah Winfrey's and the Tony Robbins and the Brendan Burchards out there just being the face of everything. And then there's guys like, like you. I'm not going to even put myself in your category, but there's guys like you. Then there's guys like me who just kind of work behind the scenes, we get really good results. We get a lot of good happiness and we get, you know, word of mouth business is really rock solid. So that's what I do. Yeah. And, yep. and for, and for me, I just, I decided to, you know, I don't want to put my face out there, this beautiful face of mine. So I just did a podcast. I got a, I got a face for radio. They say, um, <laughs> it's good. Uh, I want to have you back on the show. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, also he has five other books that are linked onto his page. So if you, if you are interested uh, and the readings and the, and the literature, there's tons. There's tons of it out there. Um, a lot of good cool. stuff, a lot of great content that, that I've seen. Uh, you and I are definitely going to have a few chats uh, after this. I'm happy to have met you. I'm happy to, to, that, uh, that your assistant did reach out, uh, and I'm, uh, I'm super happy to have you on the show. It couldn't have come at a better time. I just did the huge hard split last uh, Monday. I did, the, I did the chop. I chopped it. People are upset with me, but the chop took place, and, uh, and I, I come out the gate with, uh, one of the most intellectually advanced guests we've ever had. No offense to my other guests. I love all of you. Don't worry about it. But this was, uh, this was a lot of fun. This was a great, Thanks. great conversation. You are uh, a phenomenal guest. You're a, you're a, uh, you should do more of these shows. <laughs> I'd, I'd be happy to, Adam. Thanks so much for uh, welcoming me and good luck. All right. Thank you very much. You will. Ladies and gentlemen, that was uh, Keith Marin. Uh, what a great guest. What, a, what an outstanding uh, podcast, in my opinion. Mm, I, uh, I got nothing left to say. So uh, as it goes, in the infamous words of Red Green, keep your stick on the ice. 
Thank you for listening to today's Mental Mastery Alliance podcast. Let the team know you're listening by using the hashtag MMA and Mental Mastery Alliance. Want more motivation? Be sure to follow online on Instagram at Mental Mastery Alliance and on Facebook at Mental Mastery Alliance. And remember, your perception creates your reality. Make it a great day. You got it, Pontiac.